0: The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.
1: Many times we feel paralyzed by fear and body hatred. to take charge of whom you really are and to live the life you deserve to live. Now, here's your host, Laura Redmond.
2: Welcome back to Feel Good Naked Radio. I am your host, Lara Redmond, and I am giddy today to have a guest with me that is one of the few people that really inspires me in this body, mind, spirit world. You know, I'm 55. I've been in this industry since I was 20, And I don't have a lot of mentors or muses or people that I really look up to in this industry. Um, Today, I have one of them on with me, and her name is Dana Falsetta. I'm going to introduce her in a second, but um, I want to let everyone know about where we're going to go today. Today is about our bodies, what we feel about them, what we do to them, and how we treat them. It is getting to the root of self-esteem And also understanding the meaning of the body positive movement. And if you've never heard of that, um, Dana will give us a lot to think about with respect to what that is. But it's a very important part of trying to redefine how it is to be a female in our bodies in this world we live in that is still so screwed up with the way we are treated as women and how we are judged on our visuals, I'm so over it, but yet I still see it, feel it, and note it everywhere. It's subliminal, it's direct, It's you, you can't avoid it. So I'm grateful to have Dana with me today to talk about this. And um, let me tell you a little bit about Dana. She's a rock star at this point in the world. She is an international body positive yoga teacher a writer, and an advocate for living an authentic life that begins with self-care. With a combined following of over 400,000 people, she shares her message across social media, letting everybody understand that you can practice yoga and find a path to a truly fulfilling life, no matter what your body size. Dana contributes to well and good, and has been featured in media outlets across the globe, including Shape, Upworthy, People, The Daily Mail, Oom um Yoga, Mantra, and more. She has been nominated for a 2017 Shorty Award recognizing excellence in social media in the health and wellness category and was recently named in Om Magazine's list of 100 Most Inspiring People. Welcome, Dana.
3: Well, thank you. That was quite the intro. I'm blushing.
2: (laughs) Uh, You should be blushing because as I was saying when we opened the show, I just, I don't remember how you first came across my radar. It it had to be through the internet because you're such a big deal on the internet. (laughs) But I couldn't believe how beautiful you are. I I, I paint as one of my pastimes when I relax on my one day off Sunday. I always try to pull out some paints. And when I saw your beautiful body and your movement, I really wanted to paint you. (laughs) I just wanted to say, come sit. I'll paint you, please. Thank you so much. You're in Philly and I'm in Portland, Oregon. So I hope our paths will cross one day. But for now, I just welcome you to this radio show. I know how many people you help all of the time. And I sort of want to start maybe with your story a little bit um, and then talk further about what it is you're learning, teaching others, because I do think we're here to teach what we're here to learn. And. Mm -hmm what you note as a thread with females and their bodies that would be very relative for all our listeners across the country. But let's just start by telling the listeners, in your own words, give us an overview of your story.
3: Yeah, so I, um, I you know, I, I sort of start the whole spiel with, you know, by saying that I'm, I'm someone who's been heavy, you know, sort of as long as I can remember, kind of back towards, you know, I hit puberty very young. I was like 10 years old and my body started changing. And I went to small schools. I went to Quaker schools. I was very lucky to have, you know, the best sort of community um, that I could have asked for. And I attribute a lot of who I am and my character to my, my Quaker education. But being in such a small setting... Um, you know, 10 boys and 10 girls in one class and, you know, my body is starting to change quicker than the other nine girls and, um, you know, it it became very obvious to me fairly young that I I stood out um, in whatever way and, you know, all sorts of things going on. You know, my parents got divorced. I could, you know, list all sorts of things, you know, whatever things happen to everybody and they, you know, lead us to, you know, whatever they do and for me it sort of eventually manifested itself into a a binge eating disorder that I didn't recognize that I had for years and years until recently. Um, But I think that that started when I was about 10 and I I continued to gain weight. Um, I definitely had a tendency to gain weight. You know, I was the classic why, you know, why are my four best friends eating whatever they want and their bodies are not changing and, you know, mine is just constantly changing. Um, So, and I carry that with me everywhere, and it sort of became this, you know, when I walked into the room, I felt like the obvious one. I was often the biggest person in the room, um, and it becomes very isolating over time, and I think, you know, I started to isolate myself and sort of believe that that was my, um, my sort of place to be, um, you know, and also feeling like, you know, when you're, when you're big or, or you have something physical, something external about you that people can see, you know, I felt like all of my insecurities and sort of all of the, all of the crap that I felt about myself, I felt like other people could see it on me. And so that sort of led my, my life, you know, that was sort of at the forefront of everything. And so I was convinced that if I could get smaller, that I would be happier. And in my mind, it was as simple as that. It was like, if I could look like, you know, my four best friends do, um, everything would be better in my life. And so that became a goal. Um, and so I did everything that I could think of. I, every diet, you know, I did Weight Watchers a, a zillion different times. I had personal trainers. I went to fat camp. I did everything. And, It was never that I couldn't lose weight. I would lose 20 pounds, 30 pounds, and every single time gain it back, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Why can't I keep the weight off? You know, I I felt like I was sort of destined to be fat and miserable, and and in my mind, those two things went hand in hand. Um, So I hit this point, it was my freshman year of college, where I was definitely at my heaviest at, I don't know, like a little over 300 pounds, and... I just was like, this is it. I just have to, I have got to lose weight. I have to get smaller. I have to get control over this and, you know, get my life back together. And I look back retroactively now and I can see that, you know, I was severely depressed at various times in my life and dealing with anxiety and this eating disorder and all these things. That I was just not acknowledging at all because all I was focusing on was the way that I physically looked um, and not paying attention to how I felt. Um you know, feeling is something that's recent in my life, something that I think I've really sort of shut down for a long time. So I went through this year of um, sort of this journey to, to health, and um, it was the first time I kind of realized that I had an eating disorder that I was responding to Um you know, emotional triggers with food and things like that, and I, I hit the gym super hard, and fast forward a year and a half, I lost a 100 and something pounds, got to this yeah. new body, and of course, not surprisingly, as the trajectory of the story goes, I um, felt the same, and I actually felt worse, because I had set the bar so high, the expectation was so insane for what was going to happen in my life when my body changed, and none of that happened, because I didn't change along the way, and I also felt worse because everyone in my life all of a sudden was, oh, you look so great now, oh, you know, aren't you happier, this, that, and the other thing, and I was, you know, no, I'm not, Um, and so that was probably actually one of my lowest points, which is so funny because I expected it to be the highest. It was one of my lowest points. I felt very lost because, you know, the reality that I thought was true sort of proved not to be, and then I didn't know what to do. Um, And that was sort of how I ended up walking into my first yoga class, uh, you know, shortly after that weight loss, not thinking that yoga is going to be the thing to change my life. Just let me just try something new uh, because I don't know what else to do. And that's sort of how I fell into it.
2: Wow. And and I want to just hit a couple of things you said because they're really important. And I want to start with the, the point you made about Diets, Because I have said this so often in my public life about dieting, it doesn't work. It is a ticket to gaining weight and slowing down your metabolism. And a lot of people don't get what is a metabolism. A metabolism basically is your body clock. So if you take down your caloric intake or you restrict calories at an unhealthy level, which most diets do, you're slowing down your clock. So... The, what, what slows down your body clock age? You don't want a diet to also slow down your body clock. You want your body right. clock to operate at a healthy place that is all about fueling, caloric intake, learning how to eat, as Dana said, is what I want to emphasize because we're always going to have to eat to live, We don't get to live off of oxygen alone, and so might as well really work on your relationship with food because you're always going to have it in your life, and it's probably the most important love affair to work hard at having and a marriage that you want to be successful because once you understand your relationship with food, it is the greatest sense of liberation and freedom. And it makes it a passionate experience. And dieting, there's no space for that in the dialogue of loving food. Food is part of life. Mm. So when you talk about the diets, the Weight Watchers, learning how to eat and getting rid of some weight in the process, what did you learn about eating that you find relative today? Like, tell us a little bit about what that looks like and what that means Well, my, you know,
3: my my whole experience with food has been so complicated, which is such an, you know, as I've come to look back at my life and my relationship with food, it's so interesting to me. And, you know, as I've become very transparent about all of these things and all, you know, at this point, millions of other people have said at, you know, some rate that they have this crazy relationship with food and it's just it's so interesting to me how dynamic that is um you know but for me it was like I I never treated food as fuel for my body never I mean in my mind I ate purely um triggered by emotion I mean my whole life I ate like that um and Because I did that, you know, I think that that led to the binge eating disorder and it it became, it becomes sort of a self-deprecating, it's like a torture device, like a self-loathing, oh, you know, everything else in my life is so crazy and out of control, but like I have food, Um, you know, and everybody, everybody emotionally eats to some extent for sure. Um, But for me, you know, recognizing that I had this binge eating disorder, recognizing that It didn't even matter what emotion it was. Happy, frustrated, sad, excited, everything made me want to eat. And once I recognized that, and for me, I mean, this is where yoga started coming into play, and I found myself wanting to practice instead of eat when I had these triggers, because the triggers never go away. And I think that that's a really important thing to understand is that you're always going to get You know, these things are always going to come up, and it's always how you are going to react to it. So for me, it was recognizing that I was not eating out of care for my body um, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I was torturing myself with food. Um, And recognizing that was sort of the first really big step in allowing me to break out of that and ask myself, okay am I hungry right now? Or like, what do I actually want to eat right now? Like what's going to make me feel good? And as I started moving, as I started practicing yoga, that naturally changed the way I ate, you know, because before I wasn't putting myself out there at all. I wanted to just be home and sit. And, you know, when you're sort of feeling lethargic or you're dealing with depression or all of these things, you, you sort of, it's easy to kind of enjoy the heaviness of food and just feeling heavy. Um, And so it's sort of been breaking out of that psychological pattern and getting to this place where, you know, I recognize the way I'm feeling and why I'm feeling it. And instead of responding with food, which I still do from time to time, but, you know, instead of responding with food, I, I consider the way that I'm feeling instead and find a different outlet. Um, and so it's been shifting the relationship with food from just feeling to sort of, you know, what does my body actually need right now? And as I've, grown to respect my body in a way that I never did before, to believe that, you know, my body is worthy of taking care of, well, that looks like a lot of different things. And my relationship with food is a huge part of that.
2: Well, and you bring up the point of awareness, because I'm here to tell you that every female has an issue with food, period. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and the awareness is so beautiful, because, I mean, I too love to binge... When those Sundays that I get to have off, I love thinking about what am I going to eat today? That I yeah. can't wait. What what can I not? W- I, I I'm so thrilled I get to eat whatever I want today, and I give myself that yeah. luxury on Sunday, and it's a binge day. I mean, I I go for broke because I love food so much, and it's been such a liberating feeling for me personally to mindfully binge as opposed to numbing mm-hmm. out and binging, and that's yes. the point that awareness is so critical because emotions and eating and our physical form are, they they're, they can't be separate. They're all interchangeable and they're all interconnected. So
3: mm-hmm. a
2: lot of people that don't get to a happy or a peaceful or an accepting relationship with food, it's because they stay in the numb zone. They don't connect the emotions yeah. to the hunger, to the lack of hunger, but to the food going down the throat. So really, oh, yeah. even if you're still at war with food, I think awareness is step number one because then at least you're saying, I'm binging and I'm binging a lot and I'm binging often, but I'm noting that I'm binging. I'm aware of it. Now, what am I Absolutely. feeling? And unearthing that feeling because that feeling will set you free. And, you know, as women, I'll be honest, I often think about this because no, for example, just the word no is a masculine word. Mm -hmm. And with that, I am so conscious when I'm working with individuals privately, we have all been treated like these Animals that aren't allowed to do certain things, whether it's say no, whether it's to be angry, whether it's to be verbal, whether it's to be really pitched up like a guy can be, and then let it out, say it, what is it? we're, we're, We're taught to feel... Good feelings, And to act a certain way, and this is globally. And I think one of the great ways to really enhance one's relationship with food is to allow yourself all your feelings. You said it beautifully. It could be joy. It could be sad. It could be happy. It could be angry. Food was still that vehicle. That was my drug of choice. And yet, yeah. feel everything. And then be aware of what happens when you feel everything and make sure you're not putting certain emotions in the corner and not allowing them. And honestly, take a look at how often you say no when you mean no and not yes when you mean no.
3: (laughs) One of the hardest lessons, (laughs) like truly. uh, I Yeah. That, you know, and and it's also it's so much. You know, I I think that by not acknowledging feelings, that that is what sort of innately leads to the hate zone, kind of as I call it, and I'm a firm believer that there's no chance that you can ever, ever hate your way to health or ever hate your way to loving yourself or whatever it is, you know, however you want to call it, um... And so for me, it's like, it's exactly what you said, you know, if and when I binge, I just acknowledge that that happened, Um, you know, if it was the kind of thing where I had accepted I was going to do that, and there are no hard feelings, or was it like an emotional spiraling, this was crazy, and I I had one of these moments, and then, okay, well, can I just forgive myself for having that and, and move on? And I think that that is, you know, one of the hardest parts of all of this and, and diet culture and this, you know, the idea of perfection, and you have to do it this exact way and, you know, no slip-ups and just, it, it makes it impossible. It's just not possible like that, you know, so I've been working on this, you know, binge eating and, and my relationship with food for two years and do I still binge eat and do I still have these emotional freak outs where I eat and then I'm like crying and I'm eating until I feel like I can't eat anymore and I'm still eating, like, yeah, I, I do still do that and I acknowledge that I do it, I ask myself what happened and why, and then I forgive myself for doing it, so I'm not going to sit here and beat myself up and decide, okay, well, this is it. I mean, now I'm just on the downward spiral. It doesn't have to be like that, you know, and I think that so many people, were so hard on ourselves, especially as women, that, you know, okay, we're doing great, we're doing great, and then the one slip-up sends us down this, okay, well, now I'm doomed to, to be on this path, you know, So so much of it for me is also this, Okay, if I slip, can I just forgive myself, acknowledge it, forgive myself, and just take the next step? You know, every single moment is a chance to just take the next step in whatever direction you want to go in. You know, one, one thing does not equal, you know, the downward spiral. And I think that, that is, that's a really hard pattern to break out of.
2: Well, I think that aligns with the idea of negative self-talk versus positive self-talk and I believe positive oh, yeah. self-talk is love. It's love, self-love. It's 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 the love we 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 deserve. It's the love we are capable of and it's the love that we have a capacity for. But what it means yeah. is exactly what you're describing. You fall, you stand up. You you know, you're aware of it. You screw up, Well, we all screw up, so the compassion is greater than the shame, because the shame spiral is really when you end up in that place of paralysis, where you can't get up off the couch, you can't stop eating the donuts, you don't even know what you feel, and so in order to avoid that, and to keep from going into that sort of a vortex, it's all about Self love and saying in that self speak, which I say in my book, Feel Good Naked, I talk a lot about self hatred. And I defined it as that when I wrote the book in 2001. And it wasn't a term that was used often then, but it was all about identifying the voice you speak to yourself with. What are you really saying to yourself silently? Because that right there is a big game changer when you can turn that voice into self-love and get rid of that negative self-talk that is so destructive and abusive
3: absolutely I mean and, and just you know you're talking about listening you know and it's it's you know listening and feeling and all of these things and and it's it's funny it's you know I do it now with food and with myself and it and with my relationships and other people and it it really is it's sort of less action and, and more listening, you know, in, in whatever sense that that makes sense for you. Um, and it's, gosh, it's just, it's exactly what you're, you're saying about, you know, you go into this cycle of binge eating or whatever it is for you. And then you don't even know what you're doing anymore because you've just been like blacked out from it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that's what leaves you feeling empty, right? I mean, that, that is exactly what leaves you feeling worthless. Um, because you just don't even know how you got there, you know, and there's nothing more defeating than feeling like you took yourself to a low point, um, sort of in the blink of an eye, you know, like it just passed right by.
2: Yeah. And so if you're listening and you can relate to that experience, right this second is the moment to give yourself a lot of self-love and compassion to know that you're not alone and to realize that, the very next second, you can make a different decision. You can choose a different way to go. You can make space for your feelings, no matter how dark or scary they are. And there is no salvation in the numbness that the food will take you to if you aren't aware and you aren't conscious of listening to the self-speak. And and that's a yeah. transition that leads us, I think, beautifully to the yoga world that you're in because um, I'm, I'm a dancer and my... Workout is a really cool program I created here in Portland called Stretch Appeal. And it sort of combines the idea of dance and balance with moving yoga and breath and a meditative element at the end. And I say meditative because that to me is this silent inner observer that you spoke of when you were talking about being an active listener to your own soul and self. And I think that yoga does a really beautiful job of taking people there, as does meditation. And I speak of meditation and people say, I'm intimidated by it. All I really want to mention and then get your input is it's simply paying attention. My guru in India always says, you're not supposed to just be quiet and feel peaceful, you're probably going to be the opposite of that, and all you're doing is observing that. It's monkey mind, it's chaos, it's the to-dos, but that's just the observer checking in with self. It doesn't have to be peaceful and silent and supportive. Sometimes it's just understanding where you are. So, I'd love for your input about your life in yoga, how I've seen some of your videos and I would love to take your class because I would probably like yoga the way you teach it. I find it a little <laughs> bit a little bit constricting in some of the programs that I have tried and I don't like holding positions at my age. Um, but tell tell us about the observer that you've become internally mm. through the practice of yoga, and do you call it meditation?
3: Yeah, well, the first thing, I mean, I was kind of laughing to myself when you were saying, um, you know, people come to, to, practice, to meditate, meditation practice and are intimidated by it and have this expectation that they're going to be met with silence, which is <laughs> so funny to me. I mean, that's, like, hilarious to me, because, especially. I mean, you could be the most aware person in the world and sit down for meditation and not be experiencing silence, but most of us are shut off. From you know, I think all day is just, I'm suppressing this and this and this and this. And then, so it's, it's hilarious to me that, you know, we think that we'll come to sit after sort of ignoring every emotion that we felt all day and expect to feel nothing still, you know, I mean, how telling is that? But yeah, so for me, I mean, gosh, it's so funny because my yoga practice as dramatic as it sounds has, you know, I mean, it's truly changed my life. I I have learned, more through myself in the last two years, two and a half years than I you know, I ever could have imagined. And, you know, this we were talking about this this the action of listening and and observation has sort of become the pinnacle of my life. And not only does it allow me to better understand me, it also allows me to interact with everybody and every thing around me better because not only do I know and understand myself more strongly now than ever in my life, but by being able to know who I am, I can see other things and other people, you know, being what they are without having to take it personally, without having to be attacked. So this, you know, this this concept of, of observing, it sort of bleeds into everything in your life and just makes everything a little less, um, you know, heavy. So for my, you know, and I do meditate now, like separate from my yoga practice, I meditate now, but I, it, I had to build up to it because it was very challenging for me in the beginning. I found my asana practice, my physical practice, much easier and much more accessible, even though it was so challenging, than to sit and be, you know, silent or whatever for, for you know, maybe five minutes. And so for me, the experience was, that chatter, you know, the internal, the dialogue, was with me through my whole practice in the beginning. You know, I would show up to practice and I'm talking to myself the whole time. Okay, I'm in, I'm in down dog now and my shoulders are really tired. I'm going to take a child's pose. Okay. And now I'm trying for crow and I'm too fat and I'm never going to be able to do this. My foot won't come off the ground. So this, this dialogue is going on the entire time I'm practicing. And as I continued to practice, I started to notice that sort of the gaps, the, the moments of, of, you, when you, as you practice, what am I trying to say? As you continue to practice, you start to experience those moments of peace. You start to get those glimpses of, ooh, like okay, this feels okay right now, and I feel really present and really, you know, you have these little moments of, of sort of clarity or silence or peace or whatever, however you experience it. And I noticed that as I continued to practice, that those moments of calm got longer and longer and longer and longer until. I would get through a practice, a physical practice, without the chatter, without the internal dialogue, where I was actually just present in the moment with my breath, feeling what was going on in my body physically and emotionally and all of these things. And that, in turn, is what allowed me to find an actual meditation practice of being able to sit with myself um, and experience it for exactly what it is, to recognize that the internal dialogue will continue to be there, but that as you practice these things and as you become more observant of what you're actually saying to yourself, that those moments of peace in between get a little bit longer until that sort of becomes your baseline. You know, I I think a lot of people sort of have this expectation for happiness, but for me, and especially if we're talking about yoga, it's santosha and yoga, right, it's contentment. To me, it's, it's not about happiness. It's not about happiness. It's not about sadness. It's about contentment. And you, knowing who you are so strongly from observing, that your sort of baseline of contentment is always there. So then no matter what happens, no matter how exciting life gets for a second or how awful it gets for a second, you still have this, I know who I am, um, Mm -hmm. no matter what.
2: Oh, that's so beautifully said. And that really is the definition of equanimity because yes. I think that, um, and, and non-judgment and equanimity and non-judgment are synonymous. But I, I have to say that what you just described is exactly what I have experienced in my meditation practice, which I've been devout to since 2010. And I, I, I just can't believe how it is the gift that keeps giving. And mm-hmm. I've often heard it said that you don't you don't go into it expecting the payoff or the reward. You just commit to it. And then the reward and the payoff unfold in these moments that you can't know are going to happen. And then you realize my practice is serving me. And right this second... I am experiencing that contentment or equanimity, whereas my former self would have been pissed off, reactive, escalate, um, judge, and then I don't have that anymore. It's like, whoa, that is too great. That right there is going to keep me On my mat forever, because it's the only way I've been able to surf the seas of this incarnation is having some sort of an understanding that I choose what to think, that I choose what to say. And all of that is a combined gift from being an active listener to what's happening on the inside,
3: yeah, well, and it's it's so I'm like smiling because I'm just you're you speak and say the same things you know that I've <laughs> experienced and thought as you just said so and it's funny because I talk to other people who it's not just yoga it's, and it's just it's this kind of lifestyle of just being awake honestly is it's like higher consciousness um, you know and everyone sort of weaves the same. I don't know, there's like a very specific language uh, that yeah. evolves around people who sort of practice this sort of lifestyle, and it's just always nice to talk to. But yeah, I mean, it's just, um, it, it, it is this sense of, of awakeness, you know? I feel like I was asleep in my life until two years ago, and then slowly started to open my eyes like, slowly, slowly, slowly started to open my eyes, and now I'm at this place where, because I've been able to observe, and because I can sit here and and say very plainly, these are, these are my character traits, you know, these are the things that I'm good at, these are the gifts that I have to offer, and then these are the things that are not so great, these are the things that are challenging for me, and, and, you know, and in my interactions with other people, and just all of these things, and so that is what has led me to this, intense and very passionate authenticity um, that I'm now experiencing and why I feel so awake um, and why I feel so able to forgive myself and experience what I'm feeling and all of these things, because I recognize who I actually am. I recognize that that's a beautiful thing and that I don't need to change any of these things. I just need to be exactly what I am and just experience and just live and grow and, and remain conscious and awake and feeling, you know, all of these things that we're talking about. And when you get to this place, you know, where you're experiencing you as authentically as possible or as authentically as you've experienced, it can be terrifying. And I've, I've come to this kind of conclusion that, you know, I think a lot of people just sort of sit in this, um, this asleep kind of state because there is nothing there is nothing more intense, there is nothing more, you know, bold than living your authentic life, because that is true fearlessness, um, and vulnerability, and just all of these things that can be so terrifying to us, and I think, you know, it's easier to stay asleep, it's easier not to listen, it's easier to, you know, not pay attention to how you're feeling and just sort of coast and accept that you're just going to feel shitty like this, Or you can wake up and become conscious and ask these questions and be inquisitive and all of these things and live in a way that is, you know, on edge a little bit, perhaps, but alive and who you actually are and what is better than that.
2: Nothing. Nothing, Nothing. And, and I, and I do want to again say to anyone listening who thinks I'm too far gone, right this second. <laughs> this this can change the way you view yourself. You don't have to be good at this. It's not a competition. It's not I'll never get where she is or she is. It's simply accepting the information, looking within. And deciding that you, too, are going to do this differently and wake up and stop handing the power over to other people. I mean, you know, one of the things that I personally find wild, interesting, and bizarre all at the same time is everybody often says, I just want a partner. I just want to be loved. I just want to get married. I just want to be in a relationship You got to have a relationship with yourself. Like that is fundamental to your well-being. And if you are committed to that, you don't even think about the partner, the marriage, the relationship. It is just an unfolding with others that is... Organic and authentic to you. It isn't about finding that which is outside of yourself. And I believe that that seeking other is so metaphoric for the avoidance of knowing who you really are.
3: Oh my gosh, absolutely. Well, and that this just reminds me so much of, you know, my whole life. And this is another, this is such a, you know, I think women get trapped in this so hard. I, I'm such a people pleaser. Like, Over the top, my whole life, you know, always. And I am, like, I'm a teacher and a guider and, like, this, it definitely is a part of who I am in a very positive way. But always your strengths or your weaknesses and vice versa. And I see these, you know, those parts of myself where I used to focus so much so much externally. How can I help these other people? How can I focus on you so that I don't need to focus on me? And there are so many ways that we do that, you know, by looking for a partner, by, you know, whatever it is. And it's so true that once you sort of come home to yourself, and and for me, that's what the whole practice is about. It's like, it's how I have a seat in myself. I mean, that's literally how I translate it. You know, asana, if you want to talk about it, like that literally means seat so it's how can I have this seat within myself this contentment this you know equanimity no matter what is going on Um, and it allows you to live freely you know it allows me I've noticed such a shift in my relationships you know outside of myself it's easier for me to let other people be who they are because I have finally found a way to let myself be who I am I'm not constantly fighting other people in their own struggles because I recognize my own, you know. It just it leads it opens so many doors to just live a freer and just more authentic and just, you know, a truly fulfilled life, you know. And I really believe that all of these things start with this looking inward and observing and self-care and and taking care of ourselves in 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 every possible way so that we can be these these amazing versions of who we are for ourselves and also for everybody in our lives.
2: To come home to ourself. That is so poetic the way you said that. Yeah, to come home to yourself is the whole point. And it's step by step, day by day, breath by breath, asana, To asana dance motion to dance motion but there is a beautiful mantra in the notion of come home to yourself that's that's what this is about i would love for you to talk as a leader in the body positive movement um can you tell our listeners just exactly what that is the body positive movement well it's a funny question because it's
3: it's it's evolved quite a bit, and it's you know been on trend sort of the last few years. So it's something that it's been around much longer than I've been sort of a part of it, um, and especially sort of in the the yoga community. Um, you know, I, I have many people in mind who I've looked up to. Um, you know, Anna Guest Jelly and Amber Carnes and Diane Bondi and these people who have been sort of these these leaders in this. In this, you know, you can have any body and still be healthy and still move and still feel good and all of these things. Um, and so for me, it's, it's about, it's actually so little about the body, um, which is the irony of it. And, you know, it's been such an important part of my language and my teaching to actually move away from it um, to the point where it's not about the external. You know, and I tell my students, my students come to class, well, you know, I can't step forward from, you know, down dog to lunge because my belly is in the way. And I, said, I say, look, you know, at a certain point, will your physical body actually limit you in certain ways? Absolutely. But the strongest thing that will limit you ever is you. Ever is your mind, you know. Just because you can't do this one thing, just because this posture isn't accessible to you, or whatever it is, however it makes sense in your life, does that mean that you're lesser? Does that mean that you're unworthy or not beautiful or any of these things? Absolutely not. Um, because you're experiencing and you're breathing and you're, you know, you're doing everything that you could possibly be doing to feel amazing, and, and that's what it's all about. Um, you know, it's about the authenticity. It's about being able to just live your life and not have to be focused so externally. But it's, it's moved so much. You know, I mean, this last year it's, it's become very trendy. Like, body positive is everywhere, which is, it's, it's, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday, actually. I'm a, I was at the mall. I was at the mall last night and walking by this lingerie store. And I see in the window, the ads in the window, you know, we, like, we are everybody or we are all bodies or something like that. And each of the photos, you know, they had like two, very thin white girls, and then they had one kind of curvy white girl, and then the token black girl a little bit curvy, and I'm just like, you know, and I see this everywhere now, where this body positive movement has become, you know, oh, people are paying attention to this, this is important to people right now, so we're using it to sell things, and all of a sudden, everybody, everybody is the epitome of body positive, so, you know, if I could give any message at this point, it's that It's not any of that stuff, and I'm happy to see the representation slowly but surely, but body positivity is also not the size 14 hourglass curvy uh, model. You know, body positivity is also the size 22, 24 apple-shaped Woman and, you know, and older and all of these things, you know? So, and it's not about the body. Like, it is. It's about accepting. It's about allowing it to be exactly what it is. But the whole point is that it's actually not about the body. It's about not looking at that. It's about looking past that, um, beyond that, to the point where no matter what your external shape looks like, the body is transient, right? It changes all the time. No matter what you do, your body will always change. So as long as you are putting any amount of worth, um, in your life on that, that, that will forever be unfulfilling, you know? So for me, the whole movement is about looking beyond that, um, to more, to more than that, to see what is there. Um, you know, and also recognizing that it's not sort of the image that it's become. It's not this, It's not the curvy hourglass size 14. Um, You know, that is not the image of body positivity. Body positivity is literally everybody, disabled bodies, older bodies, you know, all of these things.
2: Oh, man, that is so helpful because you're right. There has been a seductive quality to the whole, I think, the Kardashian sort of uh, media-obsessed world led to, a misunderstanding about what body positive really is and what it means. And if anything, it's a reflection as to where you are in your subconscious, conscious, mm-hmm. internal mind and understanding the direct link mm-hmm. to your body. And that, again, yeah. they're not separable. You can't put them in one either side of the room. They are together, they are mm-hmm. integrated, and they are... They must be understood, and that takes effort, but it's super worth it, so worth it, no matter what your size or your disability or your color or your age. And I'm at the age now where there's so much emphasis on your age, your number. Yeah. What do you what are you gonna do about that area under your chin? What about your mm-hmm. eyes? And and I am so excited. I am loving aging. I am digging my lines. I am digging my belly. I am so loving getting older and not going in any way in the direction of trying to thwart time because I've never been happier. So, heck, man, yes. I'm digging all of my, my my parts. And as I'm digging them and loving them, I'm noting how much I've had to make that decision with all of the seduction, messaging, subliminal um, communication that's going on every single second. And, and once you're aware of it, it's so freeing to just not buy into it or go near it and it's oh, it's absolutely been, it's so sexy absolutely. and fun. <laughs> I love yeah. getting older. Um I wanted to ask you I I said in the beginning of our show that I think we're here to teach what we're here to learn and I'm eager to know with all of the thousands of women that you come into contact with what would you say is the most common or a couple of the most common things that you hear that are holding women back from this full concept of self-love. What what is the main deterrent? What do you think are the obvious obstacles that are generally speaking common for many?
3: Yeah, I think you know, there are many and I I have heard I've heard everything that you could think of. I think that one of the, and and this is true to my experience as well, I think one of the key things is this concept of isolation. I think that, you know, sort of backtracking to what we were talking about in the very beginning about the pressure on women to sort of portray this happiness and, you know, not feel these negative feelings and not experience any of these things. And I think that that leads to so much isolation. Um, and I felt that myself, I felt like, you know, nobody feels like this. Nobody understands that I feel like this this insane insecurity and this lack of self-worth and everyone else seems so happy. And, you know, what is wrong with me and, and why am I the only person who feels like this? And as soon as I became, vulnerable and transparent about it and started expressing it, um, and, you know, for me, that was online, and it turned into this whole thing I never could have imagined, but it could be as simple as just talking to your friends and being very candid or, or you know, a family member or whatever. Um, as soon as I did that, it was like every woman across the world piped up and was like, I am dealing with this too in my own way and also in the same way, and, you know, everything that you say sounds like My story, I mean, how many times have I heard that where, you know, I write something in a caption and the comments are, you know, I could have written that. I could have written that. That was like exactly my experience. And so not feeling isolated, not feeling like I was the only person experiencing what I was going through and having the comfort of all, you know, it's so funny because all of these people are always, you're so inspiring to me and, you know, you've changed my life so much and I'm I'm so... I'm so appreciative and grateful that by being who I am, that that is, you know, that that's a possibility. But for me, it's, it's, it's a two-way street, you know, for all of these other people, all these other women and men to come forward and, and say that they've been struggling with this you know, is, has been comforting to me and has allowed me to grow as well. So I think a huge part of it is community and, and understanding that, you know, no one is going through any of this stuff alone. And I think that that is one of the biggest blockers that we, you know, we feel like we can't express it and we can't talk about it or ask questions or ask for help. You know, so many people, myself included have such a hard time asking for help, reaching out, saying, you know, I'm not cool right now. I'm not doing okay. I need someone's help. You know, I think all of these things create these huge blocks of, you know, energy and just sort of, they end the thought process and they end the growth process because we feel like there's inevitably nowhere further to go. Um, so I think one of the biggest things, sort of the biggest tip that I could give and and the most common thing that I hear is that it is that, you know, by, um, expressing your own struggles in whatever way makes sense to you, not only is that powerful to you, um, but it's powerful to the people around you and possibly even to people that you'll never meet. Um, So definitely, you know, that sense, that sense of isolation. Um, And I think as soon as you stop feeling that, because the other most common thing that I hear, one of the most common things that I hear is you look like me, you know, I mean, I show my body very candidly and I do that very purposefully And I get these reactions all the time. You look like me. Like when I look at you, I see my body. Like I see that you have similar shape and, and, you know, cellulite here and stretch marks here and all these things. And I look at you and I think that you are so beautiful. And then I look at myself and I can't see it in myself, Um, Mm. you know? And so I think that so much of it too is the more that we get this representation, the more that we express this vulnerability and sort of bring everybody together, the more that we can allow... Um, ourselves to see beauty sort of in other people and even in their flaws, you know, that we're often so quiet about, that those are the things that allow us to slowly but surely, you know, I have people come back over time, you know, oh, I wore a bikini for the first time today to the beach and I didn't care. Oh, I saw my stretch marks on my belly in the mirror and I didn't care. They didn't bother me for the first time. So it's these little baby steps of coming to realize that the beauty and All of the amazing things that you see so quickly in other people are all of the same things that are within you and are all of the same things that other people love and see and appreciate and think are beautiful about you.
2: Mm, That's so beautiful to hear. So it's about vulnerability. It's about being honest, letting people in, creating a community that can be online as you've brilliantly done, and knowing that you're not alone. And you can get help. You just have to ask for it.
3: Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And it's like, that's my only goal. I mean, that's truly my only goal. I mean, I teach yoga and I do all sorts of different things, but at the end of the day, and I say it every time I go to teach a workshop, you know, my goal is to create a safe space. I want to create a safe space where people feel like they can come and just be exactly who they are. And if that means, crying in the middle of the workshop and just, you know, experiencing whatever they're experiencing. That's cool. You know, I just want people to feel like they can be exactly who they are and know that that's completely okay at all times.
2: Oh, and, and welcomed. If the tears yes. are coming, that's a great sign. That that's a good sign. That means you're doing it right. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause
3: you're feeling something. I yeah, mean, exactly. I guess, you know, we need to feel things. We need to feel things and we definitely, We don't do it enough. We move, you know, we're so fast paced. We're so goal oriented. What's next? What's next? What's next? You know, slow down, like take a breath. What are you doing right now? (laughs) How are you feeling right now? You know, we have to, it's now life is happening right now. It's not about the next moment. It's not about five years from now. You can't plan for anything. Anything could happen any second. So if you're not living presently, like, I don't even know if you're living.
2: Yeah. Now's all we have. I mean, there is no other. So it it really is all we have is right now. Yeah. Dana, we have to close soon, but I wanted to ask you, who inspires you? Where do you get your inspiration?
3: You know, at this point, at least, I'm, I'm truly inspired by the people that I get to interact with. I'm inspired by Every single student I meet, every single person who emails me anything about their life, shares anything with me, you know, every single person who says I wore that bikini for the first time or, you know, all of the baby steps, all of the little mini celebrations of all of the men and women around the world who have shared this experience with me keeps me going more than, more than anything and inspires me more than anything. Truly there, you know, now that I am living as authentically as I've ever experienced, there is nothing more inspiring to me than to see other people doing the same thing. Um, And, and that's really all it is. You know, when I meet people who are just shining, you know, you meet people who are just beautiful. It has nothing to do with what they look like. They're just, they are, they are light. You know, they are the epitome of light because they are who they are. That, that is what's inspiring to me.
2: I love that your community is your inspiration, and for all of those who want to join into your community, please tell the listeners the best way to be part of your world. What are the digits? Yeah.
3: So, I my website is danafalsetti.com. My uh, Instagram is nola trees, and my Facebook is nola trees yoga. And I have my yoga classes on kodyapp.com as well. So you'll find all my yoga classes, my workshops, retreats, um, and sort of all of my writings about my my own journey and experiences there.
2: And I want to spell your name. It's Dana, D-A-N-A, falsetta, or falsetti, F-A, falsetti. Falsetti, F-A-L-S-E-T-T-I, and Nola Trees. Please spell that for the listeners, too.
3: It is N O. L-A-T-R-E-E-S.
2: And you want to follow Dana because it's so worthwhile and it will give you that really important daily inspiration and a community that is right there holding space for you as well, whoever you are out there. And men too, men, men too, but uh, women have a a different sort of uh, pathology, I think, based on our history. Dana, you are such a pleasure to talk to. I could talk to you all day. I feel (laughs) like you are my sister. And I want to thank you for your time today and also just to let you know that one of the ways that I have really inspired my community is by continuously reminding everyone that you
1: complete you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Feel Good Naked Radio with Laura Redmond, Please join us live again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be you and feel great in your own skin.